holy night. But before we talk a little bit more about that holy night, I want to tell you about a day in my life about 14 years ago, about 110 degrees, in the middle of Gaziantep, Turkey, in an unair-conditioned Kia minivan with my two boys. We were coming back from running errands for the family, and it was hot, wind is down. We're heading back toward the house on one of the main boulevards in the city. And as we approached a section, a stoplight, where the road went from two lanes to suddenly to five lanes as people broke rank to get up against the, the traffic light. And the traffic lights over there, they don't go red to green. They go red, yellow, green. And so as we pulled up to the red light, I moved past a dump truck. And in the dump truck was a man driving the dump truck, but he was singing and he, could, he had a range almost as high as Kathy's. Okay, and he, you got to hear Turkish music to understand what I'm talking about. Pretty awesome, and he was singing at the top of his lungs. And so I looked, and I told the boys, "Boy, that guy can really sing." So again, 110 degrees, wind is open. This guy's belting it out at the top of his lungs, and the light turns from red to yellow. People start to rev their engines. They start to move. They start to blow the horn, okay? That's how it works over in Turkey at the intersection. Everybody's going to try to get back into two lanes again and pass a couple of people. Well, I was in the turn lane, ready to turn to go into town, into my neighborhood, and go home and hopefully find some cooler air somewhere. And as the light turned yellow and people began to move and the trucks began to rev and and I heard this guy singing again, and he was singing. He was just having a great day. And I began to move, and I looked at him to see one more time his face as he was just belting out the song. And as I moved, I moved right into the car in front of me. It happened to be the chief of police truck a new Opal for the city of Gaziantep, Turkey. <laughs> couldn't have happened at a, at a worse time. I was mortified. My sons were mortified. We were embarrassed. We were thinking, oh, no, what's going to happen next? We're foreigners, and we're in the city of Gaziantep, and I have just rear-ended the chief police, and police were materializing everywhere. It was terrible. I didn't know what was going to happen next. You ever have a time like that in your life? where it just seems like all hell breaks loose, okay? And, and, and you're not sure what's going to happen next. Well, as I think about Christmas Eve, as I think about the night before the birth of Christ, and I think about the characters who are involved in the story of Jesus, it couldn't be much worse. Joseph coming in to Bethlehem, with his very pregnant coming to see his uncles and aunts and distant cousins and everybody else. And the culture was you didn't get pregnant before you got married. Can you imagine what Joseph is saying? What am I going to tell these people? How can it be worse than this? 
And they're coming in to a, to a city to be taxed, to register to be taxed some more. We identify with that, okay? The government was, was bearing down on them for the oppressed people. Everything that could be going wrong went wrong for Joseph and Mary. The disgrace. What was being said behind the backs? Can we identify? The rush of Christmas. Maybe today for you, if you giant eagle, probably went wrong. I looked at that line in giant eagle. Oh, Lord, help me. And about that time, my little Saudi Arabian friend that was with me said, hey, let's go there in the lottery line. And we did. And they let us through. There was a way. But here, whether it was 2,000 years ago in Joseph and Mary's life or in 2015, in your life and in mine, in our city, in our country, in our world, all, everywhere we look, there are things that seem to be going wrong, not how we want them to go. And yet in Galatians 4, I love this verse, and it says this, and it's not really a verse that you would go to necessarily on Christmas Eve night. But this verse in Galatians 4, do you have that one, Al? If not, I can read it. Yeah, here it is. So it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In the fullness of time, who's keeping track? God is keeping track. And in the fullness of time, when God ordained it to happen, on the night it was supposed to happen, God sent forth his son, Jesus, Savior of the world, born of a virgin, born of an unnatural way. That was unbelievable. A way that would seem impossible. God shows up in an impossible situation. And my friend, God delights in showing up in impossible situations. And we'll see that again and again as we look at this story. Look with me, if you would, at Isaiah 9. If you don't, if you don't believe what I'm saying about the way the times were, but in Isaiah chapter 9, it says, But there will be no more, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in that latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of nations. And let's just go on. But the, notice the words gloom, the words darkness. The, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. So we see the situation there. We see darkness. We see gloom. We see heaviness. It says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So what has happened in place of gloom and in place of darkness? There has been multiplication and joy. Why? Let's go forth. It says, for the yoke of the burden and the staff for 
his shoulder. Well, I can hardly read it back there. The rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. How did he do that? Let's go. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. A prophecy there. But you see moving from darkness to light, from gloom and despair to joy to multiplication. For unto us, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Who is this Jesus, this Savior of the world? But the one who, when situations seem the darkest, the bleakest, the, the most heavy upon us, the most impossible, God in his timing sent his son to be the savior of the world. And his name is Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 2. Well, excuse me, let's go first and look at this just a little bit longer at, in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, uh, we've already touched on it, but, but it's just good to see it here, how the birth of Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. The uh-oh had happened. Oh, my goodness. From the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, to validate what God had said through the prophets. So why did Jesus come but to bring validation to the word of God? And tonight, let's think about that as we celebrate on the eve of Christ's birth, that Jesus came to validate, to bring God glory. And that's one thing I want to stress tonight, that Jesus came in the darkest of times to validate God's promises. What promises? The promises that God is love, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that he provided a way of salvation for you and I. That is why Jesus came to bring glory to God. When we look at the, the story of the birth of Christ in Luke 2, one of my favorites, I've heard my father say it out of the King James Version for the first 21 years of my life. Every Christmas, he would say, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. It all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Bethlehem, which is the city of Judea, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
which is Christ the Lord. And then you shall, you shall, this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host saying what? Glory to God in the highest. The angels announcing the birth of Christ and their praise breaks forth. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest. Let's think about that. Christ came to earth as a baby to bring glory to God because God counted it worthy that he saved you and I through his son, Jesus Christ, and that would bring him glory. So here we are at the very heart of the meaning of Christmas that Christ came to bring glory to the Father. Just like it was meant to be during Texas, during oppression, during unwanted pregnancy, during things that would cause any of us distress and despair. And if you're sitting here tonight, my friend, and you are wrestling with distress and despair and maybe family conflict or frustration or anything that is in your heart that is seemingly like a mountain to you, let me say to you tonight that Jesus came for you. God loves you, and he sent his son, Jesus, as a babe in a manger, not in a king's palace, but as a babe to the shepherds, to the blue-collar people of the time, to the service industry of the time who raised these lambs in order that they would go and be sold for sacrifice. God sent Jesus to that situation and to your situation. For his glory. Isn't that amazing? What a plan. That causes the best hatched Christmas gift plan to fade when you stop and think about it. But it didn't stop there, folks. He came as a servant. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to die in my place and in yours. On the cross. To shed his blood because my blood cannot cover my sin. Only his blood, the perfect lamb of God, can cover my sin and your sin. The perfect sacrifice in the fullness of time. Jesus came to validate God's word. Jesus came to show God's mercy. And Jesus came to show God's great love for you and I. In all the major world religions... There's only one that does not work its way to God, but where God comes down to you and I. And that's the religion of Christianity. That is the message of the gospel. That is what we embrace and hold on to with every fiber of our being. God came down so that you and I might come to him. I've been having a lot of conversation in the last three days with a young Saudi Arabian uh, Muslim who have fed, God brought him into my coffee shop. And he's very, seems to be very open to discussion and asking me a lot of questions about what I believe about Jesus. And today I had the privilege of telling him how Christ died in my place. 
how when I observe communion, that it's a symbol of what of Christ's body that was broken for you, for me, and for Him, and, and the blood that was shed as a sacrifice for sin. I don't know what's going through the young Mohanan's mind, but I'm asking God to become His Savior through Jesus Christ. You know, last week. A guy named Steve Harvey made a terrible mistake in front of the world of Miss Universe. Now, not every one of you may be into Miss Universe. I didn't see it, but I certainly heard about it, where he announced the runner-up as the winner and then had to back away from that and regroup. But he took responsibility, bless his heart. But that didn't stop the making fun of Steve Harvey. And I was guilty of passing along a meme on Facebook there too that, you know, he had declared this Cleveland Browns to be Super Bowl champs. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it, that we enjoy, I mean, when I go on YouTube, you know what I like to watch? I like to watch dogs and cats because they do such crazy stuff, okay? And it's there. And one of my favorite shows, I confess, is America's Funniest Home Videos. Because people fail, and they often get hurt, and I find myself laughing at it. But I heard something this week that sobered me up a little bit, that I am part of a culture that am, that of failure, a culture that is always looking for the other person to fail, whether it's our candidates or the ones we don't like, we want them to fail. We go to those kind of things. I go to those kind of things for entertainment. And how that person, how each one of us must feel. I know how I felt that day in 110 degrees when I smashed into the back of that policeman's car. I wanted to crawl into a hole and never be seen again. I wanted to die. I had embarrassed my children. <laughs> I'd embarrassed myself. I'd got myself in a world of trouble. And thankfully, God's grace, I'm here today. They didn't shoot me. But it was embarrassing. It was hurtful. And we as a culture embrace that type of lifestyle as entertaining. And yet Jesus came because each one of us, if we were to have our lives flashed on screen, we would probably be embarrassed this evening, wouldn't we? And yet, while we were yet sinners, he came out of love to seek and to save the lost. And he came to die for you and I in order that we might have life abundantly and eternally and ha have e ready access to our Father in heaven. And he did that as a gift, a Merry Christmas gift. So in our culture of failure, and tonight as you sit there and maybe thinking, 
and I'll be glad when Christmas is over and then I can get away from my pain. Whatever, whoever is causing that pain. I want you to know that Jesus came for such a time as this. To be your strength. To be your Savior. And to be your Lord. Come to him. That's what he said. Come. And he came to bring validation to his heavenly father, his word, his promises, and also his mercy. He came to show us the father's mercy. I need it. You need it. Aren't you glad he came? I am. Let's pray. Our Father God, as we bow before you on this Christmas Eve night, Lord, you are so gracious, so wonderful, so merciful, so loving, so wise and so powerful. You are a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Father, for each person here tonight, I pray for your peace to invade their lives, every avenue, every room, every compartment, everywhere. Let them know tonight that no matter how bad it may be, you came for them to identify, to walk with, and to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And Lord, I can't help but think of Hebrews that you're interceding for us right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift that you gave your only son at Christmas 2,000 years ago. Lord, we're so grateful. May this Christmas overwhelm us with your love. May this Christmas overwhelm us with your mercy. And may we be your vessels to show that love and mercy and your light to our friends and family tomorrow and in the year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.